are a pan-disability charity and in a nutshell we support individuals to live, learn and work as independently as they choose whatever their ability and we do that globally. Hi and welcome to the podcast Making an Impact. This is the podcast where all aspects of working in the global impact sector are discussed. My name is Helen Rask and I will be the host in this podcast. In this episode, we will meet Michelle Walker, who is the People Business Partner for International at Leonard Cheshire in London. Michelle will let us know the impact the organization has, how they ensure that their workplace is inclusive and how it all once began. So, let's get started. Today I'm very happy and honored to have Michelle Walker, who is the People's Business Partner for International at Leonard Cheshire in London. Michelle, welcome to the podcast, Making an Impact. Thank you very much for having me, Helen. It's great having you. You know, I, I'm very curious to, to know a bit more. What is Leonard Cheshire? Uh, so we are a pan-disability charity. And in a nutshell, we support individuals to live, learn and work as independently as they choose, whatever their ability. And we do that globally. So what does that mean? Uh, It means different things in different areas. In the UK, we have some care services where we care for disabled people 24-7, 365 days a year. But we also have um, hubs where we link in with disabled people in the community and we link them up with um, jobs or support, networks, signposting. Internationally, we have a slightly different slant where we take international funding to create programmes to support disabled people, mainly to into work or into education. And we do that in a number of countries. Um, shortlist, we've got Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, Bangladesh, Zambia, Thailand, India. And then we have another um, set of smaller projects scattered across. And we have a global alliance as well. And what, how did it start? What's your background? <laughs> um, I did actually start in HR. However, once I'd done my degree, I actually went off and managed a vodka bar for seven years, which is very much like working in HR. I had a large team of people um, that I managed there. So you kind of had very similar issues that you have within a HR department. After about seven years there, where I started as an assistant manager and finished as a general manager, I decided to come back into HR and I came back in through uh, a bar, again, a small bar chain, then through to retail and then through to Leonard Cheshire. Uh, uh, What's your educational background, you said? So, yes, I did my um, degree and a master's in HR. My degree was a very long time ago. Um, My master's, I think I finished that maybe five years ago. And you are the people business partner uh, for international, what does that mean? Yes, yeah, so um, I focus 
on the international side of the HR, so I don't really deal with anything in the UK. Um, but generally, what the HR team, wherever they're based, is here to do is to contribute to the organization's achievements and strategies, ensuring we have the classic right people in the right place at the right time, um, but certainly strengthening our people management practices, influencing the working environment, and making sure that people in the jobs in Lanarkshire can actually do their job because we've given them the right tools and the right skills. How do you ensure that your staff understand the experiences of the individuals you work with? We do um, seek to employ people with disabilities in our teams, in our organisation. So people with, with lived disability experience, it is important to have them in our teams. But also, you know, we can't have that in all of our teams. And so we just essentially share what we learn as we go. So as a programme provider... Um, internationally anything we learn through that process we will have a, a sharing knowledge um, set up through the teams and we get people to go out and visit so I've been out to um, India we've uh, got people in our teams who have been out to visit our services out there as well in Kenya just to really see what it is we do how we do it and how we impact on the people that we support and could you give a concrete example uh, actually, there's probably a lot, but one of my um, main examples is I was sat at my desk um, when I first started and I was going through um, the website and our policies and procedures and just learning about them in Cheshire. And there was a story on our website about um, somebody we'd helped internationally. They had a very unfortunate situation where they had become um, disabled and pregnant at a very young age and they were essentially left behind by their family. Um, and what we managed to do was support that girl and her baby into education. So she actually went to school with her daughter um, and they learned together how to essentially learn the basics, reading and writing. They went through that school year uh, with a view that when she leaves school, we'll be able to support her into some form of work and she'll be able to have a living and an income for her and her daughter. And the name Leonard Cheshire, uh, who, who was that and who started the, the organisation and, and why and when? So the organisation was started by Leonard Cheshire. Um, he was a um, yeah, so he was a highly decorated Royal Air Force pilot, and he was also um, an Englishman. Sorry, sorry, an Englishman yes, from UK. Yes. Yeah, yes, sorry. So he's from the UK. <laughs> he um, was an RAF pilot and a group captain during the Second World War. Um, he was highly decorated. He was given the Victoria Cross. And when he came back from um, the war, he founded a hospice, uh, Mellon Cheshire Disability. Um, and through this, he worked with conf conflict revolution and also people who come back from the war and who were disabled from fighting out in the war. Um, and that was essentially the start of what Lennon Cheshire is now. And he uh, got the idea from, from the experiences from the war? Yes, yeah, so when he came back, 
um, there was quite a few people who were um, injured in the war, become disabled through the war. And, um, you know, he felt the need to go and support these people. What would you say is the most rewarding about your job? Wow, that's a tough question because actually the end result of what we do is obviously very rewarding, supporting and helping people to have better lives, um, you know, into work and in education. But actually on a day-to-day basis, um, it's probably just talking to people and understanding if they have an issue and working out a way to help them and support them. And what would you say is the most challenging about your job? <laughs> Absolutely everything. <laughs> I think working in an international context, um, there's always very different challenges. It's really simple things that we do in the UK will be a basic challenge internationally. Um, and actually, we started as a, as a small team and the team's starting to grow. And I think through that growth and the introduction of new people in our teams, it's becoming still a challenge, but it's nice to be able to have a, a wide group of people that you can talk through the issues and you can collaborate and think of a way and a solution to move forward. How do you work with other organizations, uh, aid organizations? So um, internationally, we do a lot, actually. We've got a couple of funding uh, streams that come through as a consortium. So at the moment, we've got a um, project on with Sightsavers. They're, they're the lead with a few other people. We also have a consortium, um, which we are the lead in through a program called A-Connect. So actually, we do link with other um, organizations quite a lot. And there are other organizations that work specifically with, uh, with um, disability issues. They, yes, um, generally it is with other um, disability organisations. Um, internationally, we don't deliver our programmes. We do partner up with local disability organisations and support the delivery through that process. So internationally, it's very much an everyday thing for us. And how do you ensure that workplaces are inclusive, that this issue is included? Uh, there's, there's many ways. We have lots of um, people within our team who are technical advisors in that area so we will link up with um, our partners and educate them and we will link up with local um, employers etc and educate them um, in the UK we do have uh, a number of other programs that do that as well so not only do we signpost um, but we do offer advice and support as well and what would you say is the main challenge to uh, employers today to have their workplaces inclusive? I think that's quite a, it's quite a wide answer. Um, I think from my position, when I've worked with people in our organisation who are in the workplace and are disabled, I personally have um, probably struggled a little bit more with finding places to signpost. So we have some obvious ones, such as access to work in the UK. Um, but really... It's really about finding a, a wide remit of people to support. Um, I think it's something we massively need to work on in the UK as a whole. Um, and we're not in a perfect place at all yet. But when you do recruitment to your organisation, uh, how do you go about this issue? So our recruitment um, 
process is online, as uh, everything is at the moment, going forward with the technology. So we um, have made sure that that process is accessible. Um, we are accredited to level two as a disability confident leader. Um, we're also a member of inclusive employees and they support us in building an inclusive workplace. And um, as we also offer the guaranteed interview scheme as well. So there's lots of different ways that we do that. Um, and we also encourage feedback for anybody who goes through that process and doesn't feel we've been 100%. So it's always great to get that kind of feedback so we can learn from that and move forward. So if you're a person who experiencing uh, low vision, for instance, or maybe uh, some hearing problems, uh, would how do you deal with those? How, to, how do you accommodate uh, those uh, issues? So hopefully we would be able to um, do that through our recruitment process. But there's a million ways that we can adjust our um, recruitment to support people. So, for example, I interviewed somebody who um, did have uh, an eyesight issue recently. We um, allowed them to come in for their interview with a little bit more time because we went through a test with them. We made sure that test was um, on an IT system so they could zoom in and zoom out because if it was on a paper system, um, it'd be difficult for them to see. We allowed them extra time for that. As it happened, we actually recruited that person as well. So we went through an assessment with them with access to work to make sure that we had the correct systems in place for them when they were here. So they have a um, Zoom text screen and a large screen. They have a large screen keyboard where the letters are brightly coloured and, and, and larger than usual. So there's a number of different things we can do depending on what people uh, bring to us. It's very, it's very personal. We can adapt to that. And uh, do people speak the sign language in your workplace? We do have some people that speak sign language. I'm not one of them, unfortunately, which should be um, a great thing to learn. But we do have sign language as well in our office, yes. What's your recommendations then uh, to persons that have those um, experiences uh, with living with uh, some form of disability and who wants to work in, this, in the aid sector in particular, like yours? Um, I think anybody who has a disability can work. There's, there shouldn't be any barriers to them coming into the workplace. It's about understanding how we can support them. It's about understanding what we can do for them to come into the workplace and how we work together to get them here and make sure they're fully supported. As I said, it's very individual, um, but as long as we can have those open and honest conversations, we can support them as best we can. How big is the organisation, by the way? Uh, so... In the UK, we have approximately 6,000 staff. Um, internationally, wow, we're currently in a, in a huge scale recruitment. It's probably about 54 internationally off the top of my head. Um, however, that just seem a very large versus very small number. But we do actually have a very, very wide impact internationally simply because we don't deliver the services ourselves and we work with partners. And actually in the UK, it seems like we have a huge amount of staff, but because we do deliver direct care in some places, which can be one-to-one um, -one care or two-to-one care, um, that's why our team is actually quite large in the UK. And you have many, uh, what kind of functions do you have? You have many volunteers as well, I've, I've understood. 
We do rely on our volunteers. Um, we really couldn't deliver what we deliver without our volunteers, definitely. That's, that's globally, certainly. In the UK, we have volunteers in our services. Um, they work directly with our um, residents and our service users. Internationally, our volunteers tend to mainly be in our projects, um, sorry, in our programmes, and work around the delivery of that. But yeah, we certainly couldn't function the way we do without our volunteers. They're very important. Thank you so much, Michelle, for participating in the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you found it interesting to learn more about the work of Leon and Cheshire. If you want more information, please check out our webpage www.impactpool.org. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.